There was a secret man in the zone. There was a woman who said to her, You can see, these people are not drinking wine, and so they can Oh, we shall conceive of our son. So the gates of the Lord are the people. So the woman came in from the distance of the They said to me, Behold, we shall conceive of our son. But drink no wine or sit no drink or get anything unclean. So the child shall be an emissary to God for the woman to be his death. Then he went out to reach the Lord and send him on the morning. He said the man of God teach us what we shall do to the child. And this is the mercy of the angel of God came before the man of sheep sitting in the field. But the Lenoir, her husband, was not with her. When he came to her now, the second day, I did not have spoke to this woman. So I was like, words from the house. Oh, we could go to the world of life. It's hard. And so the Lord said to me, All the rest of the woman are to be careful. She may not be taken to the house of the body, or may she drink water and similar drink, or eat anything unclean. All that I can learn her let her observe. Then the Lord said to the angel of the Lord, Please let us detain you and open the heaven. The angel of the Lord said to him, You've detained me and I've furnished you. As you offer a birth offering, you must offer it to the Lord. The Lord said to the angel of the Lord, What is your name? He reported to the past and they are in you. The angel of the Lord said, Why do you ask my name, seeing it is wonderful? So Manoah took the young goat with the grain offering and offered it upon the rock to the Lord. And he did a wondrous thing while Manoah and his wife looked on. It happened as the flame went up toward heaven from the altar, the angel of the Lord ascended in the flame of the altar. When Manoah and his wife saw this, they fell on their faces to the ground. When the angel of the Lord appeared no more to Manoah and his wife, uh, then Manoah knew that he was the angel of the Lord. And Manoah said to his wife, we have sh shall surely die because we have seen God. But his wife said to him, if the Lord had desired to kill us, he would not have accepted a burnt offering and a grain offering from our hands, nor would he have shown us all these things, nor would he have told us such things as these at this time. So the woman bore a son and called his name Samson, and the child grew and the Lord blessed him, and the spirit of the Lord began to move upon him at Mahena, Dan, between Zorah and Ashtail. Amen. Let us pray. Our God, we are thankful that you are the deliverer and the savior of your people. And we're thankful that we see this in the, in the birth of Samson, in the life of Samson. You're the one 
uh, who saved your people from the Philistines. But we're thankful for the greater than Samson. We are thankful for Christ who saves us from our sins. Thank you that Christ came in this world to save sinners. Thank you that Christ is the one who conquers on behalf of his people. Thank you that he gives us all that we need. He is all that we need. He is a prophet who speaks to us. He is a priest who sacrifices and intercedes for us. And he is a king who conquers and rules and defends us. Thank you that we have such a king as he. We have such a conquering Lord as he, that even now he reigns supreme at your right hand, O Father. Thank you that he is our Savior and he is our Lord. He is Christ the King. And so as we come and consider your salvation in the Old Testament, may we see Christ, who is the Savior of all his people, who is the Savior of those whom you've called out of darkness into marvelous light. He is the Savior of the ones whom the Father has given to him. So we pray tonight, O God, that we would be uplifted and encouraged by your grace towards wretched people like us and toward wretched people like the people of Israel. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for your condescension. Thank you that you hear, and thank you that we see you appear before us, and we're thankful that we see that in Christ who took on human flesh. So we ask that you give us illumination from on high by your spirit to better understand what is going on here, and we pray you would be glorified in all things, and we pray these things in the name of Christ. Amen. Well, as we come to the nativity story concerning the deliverer whose name is Samson, Perhaps some people are asking, why are we talking about Samson on this Lord's Day, Christmas Day? Well, I think there are a lot of misconceptions about Samson, which I'm going to deal with as I go through. But we must not miss the important fact that it is an important narrative in Israel's history. He really is the one who is great. There really is one who is going to be greater than Samson. There are connections with the one who is greater than he. But Samson really was born to save his people from the Philistines. And in reality, what we see with Samson is not primarily about Samson, rightly or wrongly. Most people like to point at Samson rather than recognize Yahweh's grace, Yahweh's mercy, Yahweh's condescension toward the people of Israel in a very dark time for them in their history. And thankfully, God is pleased to condescend to them Uh, as he appears to Manoah and Mrs. Manoah. We don't know her name. We just know that she's barren. We know that she does not, it has not had children. And in the Old Testament, this is not uncommon. And a barren woman was really a sign of despair. And so in in a time of despair in Israel, in a time of despair for Mrs. Manoah, God is going to appear to her and uh, promise that she shall A, have a son, and B, her son will be the one who will save his people from the Philistines. So there's a lot of hope in the midst of despair, even as God appears to Mrs. Manoah. And the problem in Israel at this time is very clear. It's a problem that we can glean for our modern times as well. The problem of idolatry. And the people of Israel have grown idolatrous, have been idolatrous, have not worshipped Yahweh, but have sought other gods rather than the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And we certainly see this at the time of the judges. And we see a clear descent in their sin when they become complacent in their sin. When they become comfortable in their sin, they no longer cry out to God for their sin, but they simply are happy with the way in which they live. And we see this during the time of 
I guess, the birth or the announcement of the birth of Samson. And certainly the church needs to be watchful of this. Individual Christians, we need to be watchful of this. So often we grow complacent in our life. We grow comfortable in our life. And thankfully, God in his mercy is pleased to shake us out of that slumber and wake us up by his grace. And he will wake up the people to some degree by the one whose name is Samson. And so in Judges 13, God condescends in the prophecy of the birth of the, of the deliverer, Samson. It's all about God's grace, all about God's condescension as he prophesies concerning the birth of the deliverer. So we'll look at this prophecy concerning Samson's birth under three headings this evening. First of all, we'll see when Yahweh condescends, verses 1 through 7. Secondly, we'll see when Yahweh hears, verses 8 through 18. And lastly, when Yahweh appears, verses 19 through 25. So when Yahweh condescends, when Yahweh hears, and when Yahweh appears. So let's first look at when Yahweh condescends in verses 1 through 7. And notice in verse 1, we see the setting for Israel as a whole. We see the repeated problem for Israel at the time of the judges. Again, the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord. And the Lord delivered them into the hand of the Philistines for 40 years. Judges has a thesis. Judges has a main point. I love it when God in his word gives us the main point about a book. And Judges 21-25 highlights, there was no king in Israel Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Not only did they do evil in the sight of the Lord, but they did what was right in their own eyes. Judges is the negative side of Israel's history. Joshua is the positive side in a lot of ways of Israel's history. But Judges, there's a lot of sin that we see in it. I know we like all you know, the Ehuds and, the, uh, and the, the Samsons and the Shamgars, but there's a lot of bad stuff that goes on at the time of the Judges. The people really are in great uh, 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 the problem is not so much their being handed over, it's the problem of their sin before God Most High. So the cycle in, the ju in Judges is really sin, oppression, and deliverance. Sod. The people sin, the people are oppressed, and then God uh, raises up a judge to deliver them. They cry out in pain, not so much a confession of sin, but they cry out in pain, and God is pleased to deliver them. So the specifics of this time, which sets the scene for the narrative with Samson, is that Israel's been occupied for 40 years. The Philistines, oh, that, uh, that arch nemesis in a lot of ways for the people of Israel, the Philistines play an important role at the time of David. Goliath of Gath is from Phil uh, Phil uh, Philistia. And so it's an arch nemesis, a uh, problem people that Israel had to deal with, and now they're under occupation uh, under the Philistines. So uh, the people were evil, the Israel was evil, God hands them over because of their sin. But one key difference in Judges 13 compared to the other times uh, uh, in Judges is in this case, the people do not cry for help. Notice it just says he handed them over, and then boom, we go right into the prophecy concerning the birth narrative. What that highlights for us is that the people have grown accustomed, A, to their sin, and B, grown accustomed to servitude. 
They're happy and fine to be under the Philistines. In fact, this is going to play out with Samson and the Judahites in Judges 14. When, so, when the Philistines want to try to take Samson out, Samson is alone. He's by himself as the judge. And the Judahites, the Israelites, they are the ones uh, who want to take him in. They are the one who, ones who want to work on behalf of the Philistines to take him out. And so this is what happens in Judges 14, but we see they do not cry out for help, yet this is when God appears for the good of Israel. And so in verse one, verses 2 through 5, we see the appearing to Mrs. Manoah. Notice verse 2. There was a certain man from Zorah of the family of the Danites. Now, we talked this morning about how Nazareth was a small place. Well, the tribe of Dan was an insignificant tribe as well. It was a tiny tribe. You'd think that the deliverer would come from Judah. And there are deliverers that do come from Judah, but this one's going to come from a small tribe. So of the family of the Danites, whose name was Manoah, and his wife was barren and had no children. So that's a problem that is uh, common throughout Israel's history. There are barren ladies. Sarai was barren. Rebecca was barren. And certainly Rachel had her struggles as well. We see Naomi loses a son or loses loses her sons uh, and she sends her daughters-in-law away. There's a lot of sadness when it comes to barren women in the Old Testament. And so she has no children. His wife was barren and they had no children. And notice what the angel of the Lord does. Verse 3, appeared to the woman and said to her, Indeed, now you are barren and have borne no children, but you shall conceive and bear a son. We have this angel of the Lord appear to announce the birth of the deliverer from this lady who was barren. And hopefully you have John the Baptist's announcements, his birth announcement in your mind and Jesus' announcement in your mind, there is similarities between this birth narrative and the birth narratives that come later on. And God is going to remedy the problem. And the problem uh, that is remedied is she's going to bear a son. You shall conceive and you shall bear a son. The lady who once was barren is now going to have a child. And not just any child, this one is going to deliver the people. Verses 4 through uh, 4 and Five. Notice he's going to be a Nazarite. And we see the Nazarite vow in Numbers 6. We see this setting apart by God for a specific purpose. He is going to be a Nazarite. He's going to be a judge. And notice we see in verse 4, and it's going to start from the womb. Now, therefore, please be uh, uh, careful not to drink wine or similar drink. That is you, Mrs. Manoah. Don't eat or drink anything, not to eat anything unclean. It's going to start in the womb. It's going to start even uh, even before he is born. She is going to engage and be part of that process until he comes forth. 4 verse 5, behold, you shall conceive and bear a son. I mean, that would have been shocking. This lady who doesn't have children. Twice he says, you shall conceive and bear a son. And then notice, and no razor shall come upon his head, for the child shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb so he's going to be consecrated he's going to be set apart why is he a nazarite of all i don't know perhaps it's for israel perhaps it's for the people at the time of 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 the writing of this perhaps to teach them their lack of consecration to god who knows but he's going to be a nazarite and notice what he's going to do in his life 
It's always nice to have your life planned out beforehand. I mean, he at least gets that. A lot of us don't know what we're going to be, but he knows what he's going to be before he's born. Um, and he shall begin to deliver Israel out of the hand of the Philistines. He's going to start to bring salvation. Now, that's going to come later on from the Philistines. Uh, but he's going to start. He's going to deliver the people. He's going to save his people. Hopefully you have Matthew one twenty one in mind there as well. What does Jesus do? He came to save his people from their sins. Now, Samson, it's from, you know, physical bondage. But thankfully, Christ comes to save us from spiritual bondage. He saves us from our sins. Samson, as I said this morning, and as I'll highlight again, is a type of the Lord Jesus Christ. And this is important for the rest of the narrative, isn't it? I think there's a lot of overblown criticisms concerning Samson. Every time I talk about Samson, I like to defend my friend in a lot of ways. Everybody gives him a bad rap, I think, especially they're like, he's mighty and strong. He tears things apart. He beats lions, kills a thousand people, but he loves women. And it's true. He does love women, but don't forget, brethren, he has a wife from Timnah. And even in that narrative, in the following section, it says, the parents didn't like that, but it says they didn't know that God was doing this. It's for the purpose of going against the Philistines. And then he tries to go get his wife back after she's given to somebody else. I mean, we always forget that part of it, right? He grabs a couple donkeys. I can't remember what they are, but he grabs a couple livestock. I want my wife back. And he's like, well, I gave her to somebody else. So he loves his wife in that way. I know we get mad about how the fact he goes into a brothel. But you know, as it says, he comes out at midnight, not in the morning. That is, the enemies were waiting till morning, thinking he was going to come out then, but he goes out at midnight. And so perhaps he doesn't engage in fornication. Perhaps he's doing it as a military tactic. And he goes and grabs the gates and he runs towards a mountain and, sh and holds them up over towards Israel to sound the battle cry. We kind of forget that part of it. Now, it is true going into it can have a sexual connotation. That is true. But we never uh, uh, have any idea of that when it comes to the spies in Joshua chapter 2. So I could be wrong with that, but he does leave at midnight. That's very clear. And his purpose is to uh, for a military purpose. And also his hair grows back. Also, he's alone in his judgeship. We forget that part of it, right? I mean, would we be able to do anything by ourselves the way he does things by himself? I mean, God is with him. Uh, and he does succeed in chapter 16. I remember hearing a reformed preacher. I think I've said this before. He just ripped Samson the whole time. I know Samson's got his problems. I know the stuff with Delilah. I get all that, you know, but let's be honest. If you're white, if you know, a woman says, why don't you love me? 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 A million times over, you would all give in too, wouldn't you? I mean, we'd all give in. He was vexed to his soul. Finally, okay, it's my hair. There it is. And shaves his head. You know, I mean, he's a man. He's by himself. He is the one who is engaging in his task by himself. But remember this preacher ripping on him, how terrible he is, how awful he is. And he preached chapter 16, and he only got to verse 21. He forgot verse 22, because in verse 22, it says, however, the hair of his head began to grow again after it had been shaven. After his strength is taken away, his hair begins to grow back, doesn't it? There is a hope there, isn't there? As he's going to go into the belly of the Philistines, he's going to take them out as he, as uh, according to his purpose to save his people. We can't forget verse 22 when we preach 
verses 1 through 21. That's enough of my rant, but verse 5 is important. When it comes to the whole narrative of Samson, he will begin to deliver Israel out of the hand of the Philistines. And so, Mrs. Manoah gets this prophecy from the angel. She goes and then tells her husband, repeats everything. So the woman came in verse 6 and told her husband, saying, A man of God came to me, and in his countenance was like the countenance of the angel of the Lord. Very awesome. To her, it was like a person. We know it's more than a man. It's a theophanic appearance, a theophany. But she, it seemed like a man to her. And so she did not ask his basic information. Well, where are you from? Who are you? What's your name? But I did not ask him where he was from. And he did not tell me his name. And he said to me, behold, you shall conceive and bear a son. Now drink no wine or similar drink, nor eat anything unclean, for the child shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb to the day of his death. So repeats the command that was given to her. One thing she did forget is the purpose and that does play a role later on when he wants the Philistine woman, but he, if she forgets that purpose, but his purpose is to deliver the Israel out of the hand of the Philistines. Now, I think one thing we see in verses 1 through 7 is God in grace appearing. There are some important points in verses 1 through 7. Israel is content in their sin. It's a small tribe. And there's a nameless mother of this Savior. And especially that first point, Israel's content in their sin. Yet Yahweh saves them anyway, doesn't he? Davis says, for if Yahweh's help were given only when prayed for it, only when we asked for it, only when we had sense enough to speak it, what paupers and orphans we would be. But I'm not saying we don't pray to God. We should pray to God. I believe that. But isn't God so gracious to protect us from the things we don't pray for, but should pray for? Amen. And that's what he is doing here. That's what he's doing for the people of Israel here. They didn't ask for it. They didn't cry out. But God and grace appears to them. And think about your life and your conversion. Were you seeking God? Yet Yahweh saved you anyway. That's how gracious and good our God is. Deliverance will come from a small tribe and come from a nameless woman. So that's when Yahweh condescends. Let's then look secondly at when Yahweh hears, verses 8 through 18. Notice how he listens to Manoah, verses 8 through 10. So Mr. Manoah did not see it. So he praised the Lord and said, Oh, my Lord, please let the man of God whom you sent to, uh, come to us again and teach us what we shall do for the child who will be born. What shall we do? What shall happen? Does he not believe his wife? I don't know, but he prays. He wants to see this man of God. And notice verse 9, and God listened. God listened to the voice of Manoah. And the angel of God came to the woman again as she was sitting in the field. So he appears to Mrs. Manoah again, uh, rather than Mr. Manoah. And so she runs, verse 10, the woman ran in haste and told her husband and said to him, look, the man who came to me the other day has just now appeared to me. So Mr. Manoah asked and God answered. And so she goes, and even though it's not to him, it's to Mrs. Manoah, but Mrs. Manoah goes and grabs Mr. Manoah. I guess we can just call him Manoah, but brings Manoah uh, to speak with this one. And notice he speaks to Manoah, verse 11. So Manoah arose and followed his wife. And he, when he came to the man, he said to him, Are 
you the man who spoke to this woman? He said, I am. And Manoah said, now let your words come to pass. What will be the boy's rule of life and his work? And notice how God obliges. God has already told Mrs. Manoah, here's what's going to (laughs) happen. Mrs. Manoah has already told her husband, here's what's going to happen. Yet Mr. Manoah wants to hear it again. And God obliges, doesn't he? God, in the, through the angel of the Lord, says to him, of all that I said to the woman, let her be careful. She may not eat anything that comes from the vine, nor may she drink wine or similar drink, nor eat anything unclean. All that I commanded her, let her observe. Observe all that I have said. Now he's affirming the words to Mr. Manoah. Yes, all that I said to your wife is true. This is God being kind once again, God being gracious once again to Manoah to hear and affirm uh, what he had said to his wife. So Mr. Manoah or Manoah prayed to God and God heard. Brethren, God really has time for his people, doesn't he? We ought not to think he doesn't. He is not like you and I. He is infinite in every way. And he hears us with all we need. He hears us in all our troubles. He hears our sighs and our tears. We can go to him with anything and he can handle it for he is the infinite God. Let's be honest. Sometimes we do not have time for other people, right? Sometimes we can grow impatient. Sometimes we can grow tired and weary, but God always has time for his people. So he speaks to Mr. Uh, I'm going to keep saying Mr. Manoah, but he speaks to Manoah and notice what the angel of the Lord says. Well, the, well, first of all, they say, please stay with us. Be, uh, they're being hospitable. Verse 15, they're entertaining angels. Then Manoah said to the angel of the Lord, please let us detain you and we will prepare a young goat for you. Let's have some food. Let's have a feast. And let's have something to eat. And the angel of the Lord said, verse 16 to Manoah, though you detain me, I will not eat your food. But if you offer a burnt offering, you must offer it to the Lord. So I don't want food, but I want a burnt offering. For Manoah did not know that he was the angel of the Lord. They didn't realize whose presence they are truly in. It's not just any old person, is it? I'm going, he wants a burnt offering, and a burnt offering is only given to one being, namely God. So then Manoah said to the angel of the Lord, What is your name? that when your words come to pass, we may honor you. And notice what the angel says. Why do you ask my name? Seeing it is wonderful. Now, his heart is in the right place, but there are bounds when it comes to what we can know about God. And one of the names of God is wonderful. That is incomprehensible. We can't fully grasp or understand everything about God who dwells alone in immortality, as 1 Timothy 6 says. We can know God as he reveals himself to us, but we cannot comprehend God in his perfection. We, can, we know as we, he reveals himself in his word that he truly is God. We, we, we know that he reveals, we, we see him in Christ, but we cannot know God in his essence, for we are not God. We are finite. God is infinite. And so... What he is saying here is, my name is wonderful. It is too high for you. Now, this is the same word used in Psalm 139.6, as we read at the outset. 
This is the adject adjective. There's other words or other. Um, it's also a noun form as well. But Psalm 139, 6. When he talks about how God searches and knows God's infinite knowledge. And then he gets to verse 6. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. We can't know everything. But God knows everything by one indivisible, undivided act. God knows all things intuitively. God knows all things infinitely. God knows things in a way that you and I cannot know such things. He is too wonderful. Why do you ask my name, seeing it is too high for you? We cannot comprehend God in his essence, but we see God as he reveals himself. We see God as he reveals himself in a child who is called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. We see God in the Son. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father, is what our Lord says. And even when we get to heaven, dear brethren, we're going to see Christ as he is. We are not going to become God. We are going to have everlasting life. We shall see Christ as he is. We will never, ever be able to comprehend God in his essence, but we will see Christ as he is and worship him without the uh, the remaining corruption that we have, without the remaining pain that we have, but an everlasting bliss, worshiping our Lord forever and ever, world without end. It is too high. It is too wonderful. And thankfully, one thing we see in these verses is God in mercy hearing. God really bears with his people, and he answers their prayers. We cry out to him day and night. He bears with us long. He will be with us until the end. Even though we don't understand, we cannot comprehend him. His incomprehensibility is the theological term. And really, as we think about God's incomprehensibility, it really ought to invoke humility. Even as we pray, even as we come before him, God, I can't understand everything. I don't understand everything that comes to pass, but I trust that you are God. I have struggles, I have trials, I have difficulties, but we thank you that you hear us. Brethren, it isn't a miracle that God hears our prayers. That is a miracle in and of itself, that the God who is infinite hears the prayers of the finite, and the God who hears the prayers of the finite through Christ who is perfect in every way. Davis says, we will trivialize prayer whenever we forget the repeated miracle involves the gracious condescension of the king's glory who stoops down to listen to our verbs and nouns, our adverbs and questions, our groans and tears. Thankfully, we have God in mercy hearing. So that's when Yahweh hears. Let's then look thirdly and finally at when Yahweh appears, verses 19 through 25. Now, we cannot know God fully in his essence, but we can know God through his works. And he does do something very wonderful for Manoah and Mrs. Manoah. Notice in verses 19 through 23, they do see Yahweh in this special manifestation of him to them. So Manoah took the young goat with the grain offering and offered it upon the rock to the Lord. Now, it's not the place of Shiloh, but God's going to accept it anyway. And he did a wondrous thing while Manoah and his wife looked on. It happened as the flame went up to the toward heaven from the altar, the angel of the Lord ascended in the flame of the altar. 
God appeared to them in this sensible way. He does something wonderful before them. Not only is their sacrifice accepted, but the angel is caught up with that sacrifice to heaven. The angel ascends in the flame of the altar uh, away from them. And notice their response to this wonderful thing. When Manoah and his wife saw this, they fell on their faces to the ground. They fall down in fear, a filial fear, a recognition that they are in the presence of God, recognizing they're in the presence of one who is mightier than they. They fall down in worship. That's all we come to worship, hopefully, with reverence and with awe. We don't walk in in a willy-nilly sort of way. We don't walk into the house of God in a namby-pamby sort of way. We walk into the house of God with reverence as we approach the God of heaven and earth. We can approach with joy, and I'll talk about that in a second. We must approach with reverence. He is God, we are man, and we enter into his house. But thankfully, we enter into his house with knowledge and with faith. Notice, uh, and when the angel of the Lord had appeared no more to Manoah and his wife, then Manoah knew that he was the angel of the Lord. So they knew who he was. They recognized who he is. They recognized that he wasn't just an angel, but it was God appearing to them in this one who is the angel of the Lord. And many of the old brothers, the old boys, dead friends, I'd like to highlight that the angel of the Lord is the pre-incarnate Christ, that second person of the tree. Not everybody agrees with that, uh, but certainly that could be the case. But nonetheless, this one is Yahweh appearing to them in the angel of the Lord. No more they knew than Manoah knew that he was the angel of the Lord. And notice what Manoah says. We have seen God. And Manoah said to his wife, we shall surely die because we have seen God. Now that perhaps in a lot of ways can be an appropriate and proper response, but Mrs. Manoah is really the voice of faith here, the voice of reason and the voice of faith. Notice what she says, verse 23. But his wife said to him, if the Lord had desired to kill us, he would not have accepted a burnt offering and a grain offering from our hands. Nor would he have shown us all these things, nor would he have told us such things as these at this time. She sees God appeared to her, God condescended to her, and she sees Yahweh's goodness and kindness, and she believes it. This is God. This is what God has said. This is what shall come to pass. It is a faithful fear that she exhibits in the face of such a, in the, in the, in the, in the, in the sight of such a wonderful thing. He, if he desired to kill us, would he not have accepted all these things? And God, who is true to his word, fulfills his promise. Verses 24 and 25. So the woman bore a son and called his name Samson. And the child grew and the Lord blessed him. We see the birth and blessing of Samson here. And the Spirit of God, the Lord, began to move upon him at Mahena, Dan, between Zorah and Esh, Teol. We see that God's exceptional salvation comes in a time of exceptional difficulties, right? I mean, the people of Israel were in certainly servitude to uh, for the, the Philistines, but also in their sins. 
Brethren, it's probably not unlike what we experience today. Sometimes we all freak out that, you know, the world around us is declining. And I'm not saying it's not. It is declining. I'm not saying there aren't problems in the world. I'm not saying that. But what I'm saying is there's nothing new under the sun. That the people of Israel at this time were complacent, were comfortable. They were happy. They were happy to be serving the Philistines. They were happy to be serving other gods rather than God himself. And God's plan of salvation came in an exceptional time of difficulty through the one whose name is Samson. He grew, and the Lord blessed him. I notice the Spirit of the Lord began to move, verse 25, upon him. The Spirit of the Lord is important in the book of Judges, and certainly it's important with David. Usually the Spirit of the Lord comes upon various deliverers in a special way, highlighting and signifying that they are the ones who bring about deliverance. Now, it's a little different with Samson. It comes upon him at various times, not fully. And I do admit, I know I had this big rant defending Samson earlier. I don't deny he's got his problems, brethren. I don't deny he's got his issues. He's still a sinner for sure. But he really is a type of Christ. He really points to the Lord Jesus and his coming. He really does have faith because, as I said this morning, he's in Hebrews 11. He's all, all, and he says, I don't have time to talk about all these others. And Samson is one of them. Barak is one of them as well under Deborah and other judges. All these ones who had faith in God, had faith and looked ahead to Christ to come. And he's going to begin and engage in his task to take and save his people from the Philistines. He'll take a wife first, but eventually, uh, as he's carried away in shackles, he will be the one who saves his people uh, in the end. In 1631, he is buried between Zorah and Eshtael in the tomb of his father Manoah, and he judged Israel 20 years. So he judged a long time, and he brought deliverance for the people. And Samson does say in verse 20, Lord, O, o Lord God, remember me, I pray. Strengthen me, I pray, just this once, O God, that I may with one blow take vengeance on the Philistines. And Samson took hold of the two pillars which support the temple, and he braced himself against them, one on his right and the other on his left. And Samson said, Let me die with the Philistines. And he pushed with all his might, and the temple fell on the Lord's and all the people who were in it. So the dead that he killed at his death were more than all he had killed in his life. He does bring deliverance for them. Well, I think one thing we can see in these verses here is God in majesty be fearing. That is, fear and faith go together. We trust in what God has said. But we also recognize who God is. That's why it's important for us to know who our God is, that we might know how to worship him and know our demeanor when we come and approach him as we worship him. That is, we must approach him, as we've said, with reverence and with Oh, we must reproach him with joy, but also with trembling. Davis says, sometimes we can have one without the other. We are prone to extremes. And so Davis says, some can shudder, but never smile before God. That's not right. Some of us have a reverence without assurance. That's not good either. Others can so focus on God's nearness that they risk turning warm intimacy into cheap familiarity. But the Bible keeps us in bounds. Rejoice with trembling. Fear and faith go together 
as we worship the God overall who has redeemed us and saved us through Christ. And as we saw this morning, I think Matthew 2.23, when, when Jesus or when Matthew says uh, that he shall be called a Nazarene, the way that word is uh, used there probably can refer to three places. I said Isaiah 11, Isaiah 53, but also Samson in Judges 13. One who is the Nazarite. One who shall be called a Nazarene. The one who shall be the deliverer of his people. And so the New Testament nativity story is also one of deliverance. That is the one who is greater than Samson, namely Jesus. Samson points to Christ. Christ who would save his people from their sins. And that's what God does. There may be many, many people here, someone here, that who is not seeking God. You may not even think you are forgivable. But God saves and forgives wretched sinners anyway. If you believe on him, you shall have life everlasting. Believe in this God. Believe in this Christ. Believe in what the Bible said about those who believe that they shall not die in their trespasses and sins. If you believe on Christ, you shall have everlasting life. Christ is the message of hope for people in hopeless times. And these birth narratives highlight that very thing. Well, let us pray. Our great God, we are thankful for your great salvation for undeserving, wretched people like us. Thank you that we were not seeking you, but not that we loved you, but you first loved us. Thank you that you sent forth your son uh, to be that propitiation for us. We thank you for sending forth your son, born of a woman, born under the law to redeem us. We're under the law. Thank you for all that redemption that we see in the, in the New Testament. Thank you for the redemption that we see in the Old Testament that points to Christ and all that he does for us. And may we see your kindness. May we see your grace. May we see your mercy that you really are the Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in, in, uh, in goodness and truth, forgiving iniquity, transgression and sin. You really are this God. And thank you that what we see in your word and even the words we just prayed teach us about your goodness, that you are the one who is infinite. You're the one who uh, is unchangeable. You're the one who is eternal. Yet you're the one who is pleased to work for us in time and space. Thank you that you change us, that you call us out of darkness into marvelous light. Thank you that you give new life and that there really is forgiveness for the worst of sins because of Christ and what he has done. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for your grace. Thank you that you hear us as we walk this world. Thank you that you hear us when we pray. Thank you that you hear us uh, when we cry out to you. Thank you that you protect us from the things we do not always see coming. And may this cause us to pray to you all the more that you are the God who hears us. What a miracle that truly is. And we also are thankful, O oh God, that we can approach you with faith. And we all also approach you with fear. When we have that healthy, holy fear of who you are, we have that recognition of who we are, that we might worship you all the more. And may we worship you according to what your word says. And may we find our hope in you, O God, in times of hopelessness. So be with us now by your spirit. Help us as we go into the world. We pray that you be honored and glorified this night. We pray these things in the name of Christ. Amen.